Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Jocelyn Russell, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you. Now, Jocelyn, you are in Ashland now. For what reason? We are potentially placing a Secretariat monument here. And after today's discussion, I think it's a 99% done deal. Does that mean that that's where you were before you arrived here? Or does that mean this podcast is influencing uh, the outcome somehow? Well, I flew in last night and we met up with uh, Kate Tweedy and and, uh, Jen and a group uh, uh, secretary for Virginia. And... um, we met up down at the monument, which has been on display at Town Hall for the last three weeks or so, and got the news that the monument is about halfway funded after about two months of pretty hard work uh, by this team. But uh, that's great success. It's a pretty big ticket item, and they're also uh, improving the park. And you know, the pedestal itself is going to be huge because the monument is uh, 21 feet long, hoof to hoof. He's life and a half with Ron Turcott aboard. So it's a big monument and um, the improvement of the grounds is pretty expensive too. So they've got people all lined up and I have a feeling within a few months we're gonna know for sure that he's here. How tall is the pedestal? I think they're gonna make it two or three feet tall. Um, I I haven't actually talked to them about that, but we've uh, staked out the basic dimensions of it. And um, this is the second one in the edition. The first one went into Lexington, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And so we had the um, blueprints, basically, from the architect, landscape architect, for the size of that pedestal. So I think they're replicating that. And that pedestal is probably about 30 inches tall. Wow. Uh, I love that you just said life and a half. Yeah. I don't know why that caught me as uh, a really cool way of describing that. I would have said something like one and a half times. But you're saying life and a half. Yeah. Because animals and in general, are a really important part of your life. Yeah, life plus 50%. So uh, standing, you know, there's, I guess, you can find a lot of different um, information online, of course. But standing, from what I could figure out, he was 66 inches at the Withers, and I went to 99 on the monument. A little over because there's shrinkage. When you get something that big, the uh, bronze actually shrinks during the casting process. Hmm. So... I go a little bit over so that we, we shrink back to life and a half. But he's, he's, he's huge. I mean, we, we load him on the flatbed trailer, go down the interstate, upright like a motorcycle. and Is he covered or can people? Nope. <laughs> he's got like straps coming down to the side of the trailer. Looks just like a motorcycle. It's a and, giant horse Yeah, motorcycle. and he's going 80 miles an hour if uh, Kevin Ingalls pulling him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty fun to travel with him. Lots of people, you know, you're on the interstate and people are swinging up next to you and you look over and you're like, dear God, that's one driver, no passenger. And they've got the phone out, the cell phone recording us at 70 miles an hour on the interstate. So we are definitely an attractive nuisance. I don't know why we haven't had somebody. I don't know that that's a nuisance. I would uh, be, I'd have a million questions about what was happening. Ask away. I love it. I do. This is what I enjoy the the most about my my job, really, is the whole process of making the monument, transporting it, meeting all the people involved. Um, It's really, it's a lot of fun. So let's start at the beginning. When did you get involved with the first monument that's at Lexington right now? Uh, That one was commissioned, I believe, in 2018. He was installed in October 2019. Um, So... Pretty early on in 2018, it was about an 18-month project, give or take, um, and that a lot of that uh, included the research. So I had to get a hold of everybody that was still alive that knew mm. anything about the horse. Uh, unfortunately, we'd lost we'd lost Penny, uh, we'd lost uh, Bill Knack, who was had written some books on him. Um, we'd lost Charlie, I believe, uh, Charlie Davis. Uh, I'd have to ask Jen. Sorry, Jen. Charlie was the was the groomsman. Groomsman. Think so. There's Charlie Davis, and then there's the other guy that worked with him, Eddie. Eddie Sweat. Yeah. Edit some of that out. Sorry. Let no, me start. You're fine. Yeah, let me start over. So we'd lost um, Charlie Davis and Eddie Sweat. I think had passed uh, a few years prior to that. Um, but anyhow, they 
we lost all of those within a very short time frame, and then I got the project. And so uh, Ron Turcott was still alive, the jockey, and he lives up in Canada. So uh, I immediately hopped a plane. I came to the meadow uh, where Secretariat was fold, got to meet uh, Kate and Leanne Layden. Um, and Kate is the daughter of Penny, uh, obviously the, the owner of Secretariat. So we struck up a friendship, and I got as much information as I could about the horse. I went up to Canada. I had a small clay uh, sketch, basically. We call it a sketch, but it's 3D, to establish the attitude, angle, pose. Got on the road, went to meet all these people, got as much information as possible, went back to my studio. I live in uh, Friday Harbor, Washington, up above uh, Seattle. So we're on an island. We're very secluded. And so I, I came back to the shop and started working on uh, what I, I call the original maquette, which is this one was 28 inches long, hoof to hoof. And that this was the detailed tabletop sculpture. And so all of this work took about four months. And I had it in front of, uh, I took it back to Ronnie again. Uh, I had it in front of Bob Baffert, uh, Baffert's veterinarian. Um, I got him in front of uh, the original track uh, veterinarian, Doc Copeland, who at the time I think was 92. Uh, he's still doing great. I took it to Claiborne Farm where he was retired. Leonard Lesky of Secretariat.com was my go-to guy for all of the research. Anyhow, it was really an intense study because, you know, historically everybody knew the horse. It's a portrait and the pressure was on because it's not just a horse. It is the racehorse. And the most dominant racehorse yeah. in racehorsing history. And, you know, I'll back up just a little bit. Uh, I got the commission. I was uh, at Medigal that wanted a um, monument of Sergeant Reckless that was a little mare that served with the Marines in the Korean War. And while she was installing Sergeant Reckless at one of the sites, which happened to be at the time the Kentucky Horse Park, uh, Ted Bassett said, my buddy wants a monument of Secretariat. Do you think Jocelyn would do, would do that? Well, after Robin and I had met over Reckless and we were re- stuck, struck up a great friendship and uh, we were several years into it and I told Robin, now that I got Reckless, I sure would love to get a life-size racehorse commission. And I get the phone call, and how about Secretariat Life and a Half? Which, you know, how do you top that? You just can't. Well, yeah, you can't. You can't top the subject. You can't top the monumental size, heroic size. So literally off to the races. And it's it's been an amazing ride. So, um, you know, without all of these connections, these monuments wouldn't happen. Um, and one leads to another, which leads to another. So you'd ask, you know, when did I start that one? 2018 and here we are there's two in the edition here we are you know 2023 second one's completed it's a little different than the first one the first one depicted the derby because it was installed in kentucky so it's 1a on the on the number cloth Mm. and this one's two for the belmont so it'll be cool to have him here in virginia because this is the only uh monument of secretary in virginia and there's i think five uh potentially six or seven in the works now um, and Virginia doesn't have one. Does that surprise you that Virginia doesn't yes. have one? I mean, it's his birth state, so. Yeah, it's weird. And Virginia's uh, a horse state. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it, things have to come together. The right exactly. people have to connect and uh, they have to have a certain skill set. And and the passion. The people that came on board slowly started with Kate and then, you know, Leanne was in and then Wayne Dementi came on board and Robin was helping with fundraising. And then here comes Jen Chambers and Ann Martin. And all of a sudden we've got all these people that are rallying to make this happen. And they're all claiming they don't know what they're doing. And they all figured out what they're doing. It, it's it was it's really beautiful to watch it happen. I mean, to to come from a germ of an idea to this huge burgeoning project that is just rolling. It's just picking up speed. So passion and the uh, desire to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Yes. I think it's, those two probably played a huge part in that. Yeah. Do we want to talk about making the monument? next or do we want to talk about what's, what's happening over the next couple of months I don't, I don't know which way to go oh boy yeah that's a good one i i was worried that i'd have enough to talk about but i obviously have a lot you're, you're gonna have plenty to yeah talk about. um well i kind of covered some of the making the monument uh they're gonna film they're gonna video, do a video of me tomorrow with a, a powerpoint that has visuals and i think they're gonna post that on secretary for virginia.com uh through a youtube link um that'll 
explain the process from, you know, I, I've talked about the research up to now, and I, I did the um, maquette, the 28-inch maquette. So the, the actual making of the monument begins with the maquette, and once it's approved by committee, then we scan it. Mm-hmm. And it's um, scanned three-dimensionally, and those numbers are plugged into a CNC uh, mill program. Uh, and they, they, they mill these pieces out of foam. So essentially, they dissect him into multiple. He probably was well. Ronnie was in several pieces, and then Secretary was probably in, I'd say, twelve to fifteen different pieces. And we assemble those together at life and a half, and then I tool the foam. And then I put a layer of clay on that, and then I tool the clay. Can we back up? Uh-huh. When you say maquette, it's M O C K E M A M A Q. Oh, well, I was way off. Yeah, M A Q. U E T T E. I believe it's a French word for a, a mock up. That's sm- what I've heard. A smaller mock yeah. up of the yeah. what ends up being the ultimate right. monument. Right. Sorry. And then can, can I ask you what tools you use to, to refine the styrofoam? Because that seems really weird to me. Yeah, it is weird. I've used different types of styrofoam. The one that I'm using now is a polyurethane, and it, it carves almost like butter. It's kind of a crunchy sound, but mm. I use my actual clay tools to sculpt the foam, mm. and it just it just cuts away beautifully. And I get textures, and I can even get you know hair detail if I want. But I don't really sculpt hair like that. But like in the mane, the flowing hair uh, patterns and groupings, um, I get my my ba- basic design narrowed down in the foam. I spend almost as much time refining the foam as I do the clay. And then I apply a hot layer of clay over the surface of the foam. And then I start tooling that. So that's where I really get, I can get into the nitty gritty of eyelashes and, and really detailed things. It's hot clay, but it's not hot clay while you're sculpting the clay. I paint, yeah, I heat it up in, in a Presto cooker. Really? Yeah. And I, I can heat it from warm to 400 degrees and paint it on with a brush like melted chocolate. And it's, yeah, you just have to see it. Yeah. As soon as it cools, you know, room temp, it's still malleable. I can still, you know, put my fingerprint in it if I want. Um, but it's easily sculpted. And it's an oil-based clay, so it doesn't dry. So how much clay are we talking about? So my first monument was, I think 1998, was of a life and a quarter bull elk. And I put about 850 pounds of clay on it because I didn't know what I was doing. And it's I did almost the, half a ton. Yeah, exactly. And I did the mock-up myself, or the enlargement, uh, they call it the point-up, myself, uh, which means I took a, a square tube, um, mild steel, and I bolted uh, plywood to it. <laughs> and then I uh, glued with, uh, what's that stuff called? Liquid nails. I glued two-inch sheets. You had no YouTube channel to go to. Oh, no. I was just asking people, what do I do here? I got the commission. I don't know what I'm going to do. But anyhow, um, I glued the laminated, I laminated these sheets of, of styrofoam, the, uh, the two-inch batting, or the uh, styrofoam that you put in the walls for insulation. Mm. And uh, then I took this huge wood saw, and I just started carving out the basic body shape of this big elk. And whatever I didn't get accurate, I just filled in with clay mm. like an idiot. I had no idea. I just kept ordering more clay, more clay. Throw it in the microwave a pound at a time. Get it warmed up. You know, slam it on. That's 850 cycles. 850 cycles. I had my kids out helping me. My husband was helping me. Anybody that I could get to come see the elk, I'd drag them over to the microwave and get them to work. <laughs> so it was actually pretty fun. We had a monument party. We had people come out, and I'd say, everybody wants to see the elk? Let's just have a big party. We pitched a huge tent. We had a, uh, you know, bring all the food you want and come see the monument. We had a band. <laughs> it was great. I'll tell you a silly story about that. At sure. the very end, I wasn't quite done with the elk. At the very end, someone said, Jocelyn, he doesn't have any testicles. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm over at the microwave. I'm heating up clay, four pounds of clay. I'm slamming the two sides together, and I slammed it up on the elk and kind of fingered it in and smoothed it in, and it made it through the party. And right at the tail end of the party, we all heard a clunk. He lost his it was on the Yeah, they were on the floor. Wow. So four... <laughs> Four pounds of testicles <laughs> dropping to the floor at the end of the party. And you know how many women came to that party and walked around to look at the back to see if I had them anatomically correct? And thank God, thank God I did. So, you know. <laughs> and then, then you made a more permanent. Uh, oh yeah, no move I, later. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so uh, how did the elk turn out? 
It was great. That was my first one. I sold five in that edition. Mm. Um, they're all over the place. I couldn't even remember right now. Uh, I've done about 50 installations probably now mm. uh, of monumental pieces, public and some private. But the Elk was the first one that kicked me out. And so I really consider Secretariat sort of the pinnacle of, you know, I've done some big pieces that I've loved. Wildlife, I just finished a big giraffe uh, a year ago in March, life-size, uh, which was really fun. But everyone knows Secretariat, you know. And, and so to, to do a personality is, uh, it's daunting. And every, everybody, actually the horse belongs to them personally, and so they take an affront if it's not done properly. So there's a lot of people to please out there. It's it's a lot different than just doing a draft. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody uh, of a certain age certainly remembers yeah. Secretary winning the Triple Crown, and they probably have lots of images in their homes. Right. Especially if right. they're from here or they're just really into horse racing. But I actually opened it up to the fans. I, I started posting on Facebook, and I opened it up because, and they're like, we can't believe you're asking our opinion. I'm like, well, everybody has an opinion about the horse, and I'd like to know. You know, I had one guy say his nostrils were too flared, which, which is great. I mean, I didn't take offense to it. I'm like, well, let me check that out. And so then I did some research, and I asked a few of the people that were that I really trusted in the know. Leonard was one of them, Leonard Lesky. And uh, he goes, no, he goes, I, I really think they're pretty accurate. He says he did have, you know, big nostrils when he was running like that. So anytime somebody offered something up, I didn't take it personally. I took it as an op- opportunity to study. And you ran it to ground. Yeah. Th- yeah. 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 I imagine any horse running at that pace is going to have larger nostrils than they would resting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, the, whole, the whole cavity just opens up on both sides. It's, it's amazing. And because he had such a huge heart, you know his circulation was tremendous, and he needs some. He needed something to you know run that oxygen down there. Yeah. So you know it, it made sense. So we uh, got a little off track. No pun intended. You're you're applying the clay. Yep. And then what happens after that? So once I get him finished and the committee approves, uh, finalized, and I call in the foundry and they come in and they chop him up, and it's really brutal to watch. So I usually leave. What do you mean chop him up? They dissect him into pieces because he can't be cast into one piece. He's not solid. So they cut him. They cut, start cutting legs so off. So they're, they're seams. Of- no, they just take a... Because this foam is so soft, they just use like a, a piano wire with a couple of handles. And they throw it over his head and they just pull it right through and his head falls off. When I say seams, I mean when you put it back together. Oh, yeah. But we, we'll get to that. Yeah, in, there's in no seam. Yeah, there were... There were Seam lines in the foam when I assembled, those were covered with clay. So those aren't like, you can't really disassemble those. You just cut through the foam and it's, it, it's really wild to watch it happen. And you can't watch it. Well, I cut up this, I did one, I've done another secretariat for Claiborne Farm in February and uh, I cut them up to transport them in a U-Haul. So I cut them up myself. I had family members there and we just ran wire down through them and off came the head and then off came the... You know, we cut him, split him right down the rib cage <laughs> and took off his tail and his leg. So the guys come in and um, cut him up into pieces, load him up. I, I sculpted him in Norman, Oklahoma, and they had a great big, um, basically a warehouse with lighting that I could work on him. It was only a mile or so away from the foundry. So the guys came in, cut him up, took him over to the foundry and started the molding process. Part of him was sand cast and part of him required a mold. So uh, their end of the casting process took about eight months. And during that time, I didn't really need to be there. Uh, I don't think I came back in until he was upright and nearly ready to, to patina. At that so, point, what they were doing, would you consider that art or is that more production? And uh, They're very skilled artisans, all of them are, okay. in my opinion. I mean, they've got to know what they're looking at. Um, Welders, you know, you've got many different departments in a foundry. You've got the mold maker who has to be skilled at what he does, the wax pour, the wax chase, the shell room where they build a shell around the wax pieces. Um, and then the, the, the pouring of the bronze itself is actually pretty dangerous at 2,100 degrees or so. Mm. And, um, I mean, it's, it's this, you know, beautiful orange metal coming out of this crucible and right into the mold and 
once it fills up, it splashes out like a volcano and, you know, every man for himself. It's not quite that bad. They're really actually quite skilled at it, but it's dangerous. But it sounds you know? wonderfully uh, visually appealing. Too. Oh, yeah. It's really, it's fascinating. The whole thing's fascinating. So when they get the um, individual pieces done, like this horse was probably between he and Ronnie were it's probably about 40 pieces, maybe not quite. I don't know. I mean, then we got the whip and then the pieces on the back of the hand that have to be welded mm. in, just little windows, they call them. <clears throat> but they, um, their job is to do it so skillfully you can't tell where the seams are. And I would challenge anybody to go down and look at it and see if they can find where they, because um, they, they weld them together, TIG weld, uh, tungsten inert gas, and then they go back over and they retexture and blend in and match your, uh, clay texture it, it's phenomenal i mean i could show you the pieces that that he started in and you go how did they do that i'd love to see that yeah it's cool so your artist touch is really at the styrofoam stage and the clay stage and is there a stage after it's in the foundry that uh so once they of? start their eight month process now i come back uh when the horse is you know when everything's basically assembled they'll send me pictures along the way um and they've got my maquette so that is the mm. that's the pattern that they follow so the angle the attitude the extension on the legs all of that you know ronnie's butt in the saddle how high is it all those things i've nailed in the small one and so we're just now making it bigger so pretty much when i come in they've they've got it and I'll just go around and mark uh, maybe some imperfections in the metal. If I see a line or if there's a wax strip that, that didn't get taken out, then they just grind it out. <laughs> I forgot, you know, the horses had these cool little bumps on their lips. I forgot to match from side to side. So I just asked the guys, could you help me out here? So they just went in and welded some little bumps for me. And I had to do it on the first one. Of course, so of course I had to do it on the second one. But um, so that's where the artisan part comes in and all of these people are, are pretty good sculptors uh, I'd say over half of them uh, are either sculptors or uh, artists with I mean welders my husband's a welder and he he can make a weld look like a piece of art it's wow. yeah yeah it's fascinating <clears throat> I imagine that takes a lot of patience too yeah I mean I wouldn't want to do it I like sculpting at one time and then I want to go do something else so welding a piece over and you know Production work would not be my my deal. So my, uh, <coughs> I, I, I think I owe it to my parents to mention at this point in the recording that they wanted you to know from them that they love, absolutely adore the monument. Oh, that's so cool. My mom said it to me and then my dad, <laughs> not to be outdone, doubled down on the notion that it's oh. amazing. That's cool. Well, thanks. I, I really had fun. I had a lot of help. I just, I feel like I was about 20% of the effort and then all the other people coming in just, it just happens. It, it just, I don't know. I, I've, I've loved every minute of it. I really have. And the people are, have been so genuinely supportive and, um, reaffirming and, you know, because I, I tell people when you do a sculpture like that, that, and I do, I've done shows for years, like, you know, I set up a booth and, you know, I started out with these dinky little outdoor shows where the wind comes up and blows your tent over. And I wasn't doing a sculpture at the time, I was doing paintings, which I kind of quit doing after 98. But uh, I would do some pretty high-end shows and, uh, you know, I'd have people coming in and uh, talking about, you know, would you do this, would you do that? And I... I mostly did wildlife. So let's talk about why you're here and, and you're starting effectively a tour. And so showing your pieces at a static position, sort of a moment in time is one thing, but going on a tour is different. Have you toured with a monument before? Not really. <laughs> not, not like not this. Not to this degree. No. So this is new and Oh, this pretty is huge. Cool. Oh, this is huge. No, I've taken monuments to shows. Uh, I've offloaded it by myself, uh, which is another cool thing. I can't even go into that. But uh, and I've had people help me, and they've you know they've seen my elk, they've seen my cougar. Uh, I've had I've had, I've made road trips. I've had my elk from Washington to Florida, uh, and all points in between. So that was fun. But this tour is completely different because of the nature uh, of you know the notoriety 
everybody's going to have their eyes on, you know, anything that has anything to do with the Triple Crown and the horse is going to be hopefully in the middle of it. Oh, so, it, there's no question. It's yeah. Gonna be and I don't know what they're, I don't know what's planned for us really. The 50th anniversary yeah. and you're going to go to all three of those races? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 50th anniversary of the most impressive horse ever lived. Exactly. And so that was the big push two years ago, I think, is when we started talking about um, the second monument I, I paid for, or I started the casting process on spec, but it was already halfway cast uh, when Kate and Leanne and Wayne, we started talking about, well, maybe one for Ashland and could it, could we have it done in 2023? And I said, yeah, we, we could. I mean, I'd have to push for it. And I don't know where I'll, I'll borrow the money to finish casting them if I need to. Um, and so it, it just started coming together. And we actually got it done before Triple Crown. And I mean, it was, we, I literally pulled out of the foundry with it like three and a half weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we had a chance to park him here in Ashland. And so picking him up tomorrow, we're going to do a road trip about eight hours up to Louisville. And he'll be in the parade. Uh, the uh, they offered a Corvette. Kate and your and sister Sarah would be your you're related. Uh, Kate and sister Sarah are are going to be in a Corvette, and they they sent me this email of VIP, and you get your own Corvette and your own driver, and um, admission into one of the fancy events, and you know treatment you know this vip treatment at the parade and there's nothing like the derby i've never been but people tell me amazing things about it and they didn't ride in corvettes as yeah part of a parade right well robin hutton the commission reckless she got she got me into the derby we were up in the stakes room she's had me at the preakness um haven't been to the belmont yet uh, we've been to del mar we've been to the breeders cup she's she's so funny she's like hey guess what we got a media pass at the breeders cup i'm like are you kidding me how'd you do that so if you hang with her there's a lot of things happen and and i'm surprised that she didn't organize the triple crown but it was leonard's uh, doing he's he's gotten everything lined up for us and we're doing some extra things too we're going to shenandoah downs for a harness race mm. uh, event on may 13th i think where is shenandoah downs Woodstock, Virginia. Okay. I had no idea. Yeah. I've lived within an hour and a half of that my entire life. I didn't know it was there. Yeah. And and because of the 50th anniversary, so many other things are going on. Right after Shenandoah Downs, we're going to pop up to see Ronnie up in Canada. And uh, they're having a rec- recognition day for him on May 16th, I think. 15th. 15th. So I'm going to last up there and I get to see him again and then we'll be headed to the Belmont next so no the tour is uh, it's mind-blowing I, I don't even I, I, I don't even know what to think or say or do about it I turned down the Corvette because I think I'm going to be riding on the trailer with a horse in the parade uh, that's a Pegasus parade for Derby Festival that's Sunday that's in mm. three two three more days the Sunday before the actual race yeah the 30th yeah. April 30th so that that really kicks everything off and uh, wherever they want me, that's where I'm going to go. So you, you're not really a planner in that way. No, well, I would be, but I don't have the connections. Uh, Leonard does, and he's lining everything up. So I'm basically getting on the road, saying, "Okay, where do you want me to go next?" So but, Leonard effectively has the giant steering wheel. Yeah, for this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, he's managing everything. He's really done a stellar job. I mean, he's talked about so many things. I have. He's talking about New York City Recognition Day. I don't know. I don't know that know. you want to go to Manhattan I know. with, with I life know. and a half. I know. But if they tell me to go, you know. I mean, can you imagine Freedom Tower or Statue of Liberty in the background, how amazing that would be? Seriously. Yeah, that, that would but, be unbelievable. You know, my, my thing is this, the safety of the monument and people being idiots with the spray can. It could happen. Ooh. But... You know, I mean, I just have to be realistic. I'm, I'm not one of those, you know, Robin says, don't even put that in the universe. Well, I have to be realistic. You know, people are crazy. I was in Reno. I think it was Reno with a horse monument, uh, the first horse monument I did. And we pulled up to a stoplight and there was a crazy guy on the corner. I don't know if he's drunk on drugs or whatever. He starts yelling. He's happy. He ran out the street and jumped on the trailer, and the light turned green. And I told my husband, I said, I guess this guy wants a ride. And he, he goes, don't do it. Because I was turning left. <laughs> I was going to give him a You want a ride? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, don't do it. Don't do it. He says, pull over. So, but he didn't spray. No, he no. just wanted to ride on the trailer. He was nuts. 
<laughs> he probably didn't know where he was headed. Well, probably had no idea. He he, did, he had no idea I was driving. Are you you're are you driving the truck with the trailer? Yes, yeah. the whole yeah. time. Uh-huh. I would not take it into the city. Yeah, Oof. we're we're discussing. I don't know. That's going to be tough. Yeah, I wouldn't take it into. I mean, the the backdrops that you could have for the monument would be amazing, but there are a few reasons I could think of that I wouldn't want to take it into the city. Yeah, they're all. It, it's we're all just talking, but you know, the Triple Crown tour was just talking, and now mm. it is. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go back to eight hours to Louisville. You yes. sure you can get to Louisville in eight hours? I think so. I think it's uh, eight hours. Maybe it's eight and a half. Might be eight and a half. You're you're going to go north, I imagine. We are going to go uh, through Lexington, Virginia, to the Virginia Horse Center. Okay. We're going to make a quick stop there. That just happened, confirmed this morning. Uh, I'm pretty much open to media stops along the route. I'm posting on Facebook. Uh, one of the view, one of the uh, posts that I did was a. Uh, uh, news team from Oklahoma City knew that we were leaving the foundry, uh, called me on the road. We're hauling the horse. He says, we're sending a chopper out to get some footage. And he says, he's about uh, 20 miles behind you. Well, Kevin from Virginia, Kevin Engel, had offered to transport the horse, and Kevin doesn't drive slow, and that chopper couldn't catch up to us. So wow. They had a... They, put quite a few hundred dollars worth of fuel to catch up and they finally did and they videoed this horse going down the interstate and i posted it on my facebook page and i think we're up to six hundred thousand views on that so people are just going nuts about they've never seen anything like it uh-uh well we i did i did have some footage of the first one coming to lexington but now you know just the whole social media thing it's it's really kicking off we've got a lot of shares uh, of the of the videos and the photos so this is going to be I'm, and i'll document i'll be posting pretty regularly so people know where we are so we'll, we'll go through the horse center and if people along the route want us to pull over if it's an easy pull off pull on we'll do it as long as we have the time so this was this is a little bit we have a little bit more room to play with this i don't really need to be into louisville until um probably you know by dark mm. on the 28th you got plenty of time yeah you're yeah. going to post about this podcast? Of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, of course. So I imagine uh, the ride and the attention that you're on is going to just grow immensely. Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't necessarily need or want any more projects. You know, I, I, I'm at the point where I want to go have a little bit more fun and do a little bit more travel uh, while I'm still young and feel like traveling. Because, you know, there's a, a point where you be you think you're invincible, and then all of a sudden you start feeling more mortal. So I can see doing a few more things. We've got some uh, cattle pasture in Hawaii on Big Island that we love. Mm. It's off-grid. It's just very, it's glamping. I'd really like to spend some time there. So it's not like I'm still really trying to build the brand. This is just this amazing opportunity to be involved with an amazing project and connect with people and be part of the energy but I don't I don't necessarily see myself as trying to generate more commissions mm. which it's a cool place to be it's a strange place to be because I've been so driven all my life that now I feel like wow did I really say that but how fun would that be go home and play with the goats and hang out with the dog do whatever you want to do do what I want to do and not have this horrendous schedule and pressure which I I do it to myself, and I must love it. But I also can see maybe not doing it. Maybe half, maybe semi-retired. Semi-retired is a good Yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, you mentioned uh, you stopped painting in 98. Well, that was my first, let's see, that was my first monument. Yeah, I did my first sculpture in 92. It was the tabletop bust of an elk. And then um, gradually the pieces in my booth went from, you know, one bronze and, you know, 20 paintings. And a few years later, it's 50-50. And eventually, I didn't have any paintings left in my booth. And, you know, I had a pretty good following with that. I, I painted for Ducks Unlimited and Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and got, you know, had some nice awards. But uh, the bronzes just really tripped my trigger. And I, I just thought that, I thought I was just doing anatomy study. I was going to just do a couple of sculptures so I could learn three-dimensionally so my paintings would be better. I had no idea it would take me clear out of painting. So, uh, yeah, by 98, I wasn't painting nearly as much. So, and, so out of 10, sculpting 
hits at a 10 for you, it seems like, or sounds yeah. like. And, I mean, pa- and painting was at a 7 or an 8? I still loved painting, but it it was harder for me. I think I took up sculpting to challenge myself, and it ended up being easier, which is really weird. Um, and I, I could be more prolific because I could do additions, mm. and I could do multiple shows. Uh, it's really expensive to sculpt. I miss the days of painting where my basically my biggest uh, financial outlay was for the frame. Mm. And with you know these monuments, it's it's building a house. It really is. It's it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's it's the cost of houses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's scary. You know the the checks I used to write for my frames and supplies. <laughs> were pretty minimal and now i write them to a foundry i'm like gee i could have bought a corvette for that <laughs> but you know i couldn't do my work if they didn't do theirs so i, I love them i mean i and i wouldn't i wouldn't own a foundry either yeah i've never been to a foundry you should you should make the tour i, I imagine there's one nearby it's very eye-opening it's it's amazing like i said the different departments there's what, eight ten twelve departments that the piece will go through before you have a, a finished bronze so Literally, when I have everybody come out of the foundry for a final photo, uh, anybody that touched any part of the project comes out. Um, there could be up to 40, 50 people standing in front of it. And they're all super proud, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they should be. They're, they're pretty cool. They're really, I, like I said, I couldn't do it without them. It sounds like you enjoy being around the, uh, the team, too. As, I do. As part of the process. It's totally a family. And I joke about uh, the foundry relationship is almost like marriage with Every one of them. I mean, it, it really is. It, it is a relationship, and I try to keep uh, I try to keep it pretty warm and friendly, and still try to be professional, uh, and not be the typical stereotype of a flaky artist. But it's hard because you know there's so many facets to it, and you know personalities, and you have to be careful. You just can't say anything to your husband, right? And you can't just say anything to a foundry person. You're you're it's it's a dance so but i love it it is it's it's extended family most of the dance is fun yes yes rewarding rewarding that's a better word yeah all right let's go back to the very beginning where did you grow up i am still waiting to grow up which is kind of fun but i was born and raised in southern colorado in a little um high mountain valley town alamosa colorado and it is the cold spot in the nation uh, hence the property in Hawaii, because mm. it's really nice there. But it was uh, very common for it to get down below zero. And um, when you say the cold spot in the nation, it very be- often, yeah, it beats northern Minnesota at times. A and- lot of times, you'd hear Alamosa, Colorado, cold spot in the nation. You know, hit a certain temperature, and so altitude's part of that. Part I guess, of it. I guess, it maybe how the currents flow, and yeah, you know. it's a high mountain valley, and so you know, if it snows uh, early in the winter. And you just get this layer of white across the valley floor. It just reflects the sun. It doesn't melt. Mm. I, I called it the deep freeze hellhole at times because <laughs> it just wouldn't warm up. But uh, my friends and family are all there uh, still. You know, of course, I've branched out since then. But um, I'm the baby of five. And my siblings are still in the, in the valley. All four of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. And their spouses. Uh, we lost mom and dad in 2015. Um about seven months apart and so and they were the core of our family of course and we miss them dearly but it's nice to go back and hang with the family anytime i want i can go back i still have some property in the valley um but uh i do feel like a kid so i'm still waiting to grow up i'm sure it'll happen at some point the good news is my question was more about uh, biological (laughs) (laughs) okay let's go back to the boring stuff um so my mother was an artist and she was prolific in many different areas. She she had a, she would weave. She did pottery. Mm-hmm. She painted. Uh, she exposed me to so many different things. I did stained glass. I did uh, glass etchings. I I could make jewelry, solder, um, silver jewelry. I mean, I I got exposed to everything as a very young child. And I just kept morphing. I started drawing uh, animals since I was little, but I kept going back to wildlife mm-hmm. and. Uh, 2D work. So I started with pencil, went into pastels, and went into painting, acrylic, and then oil. And then, um, like I said, I, I did pretty well with my paintings up until 92. And then when the sculpture took over, I just, 
I just ran with that. But my, my parents had a huge influence on me. And the people that supported me in the Valley, I did my, I think I sold my first painting when I was eight. And I got money for something I enjoyed doing. I mean, that was just, it's like giving drugs. Win- it's like giving drugs to an addict. Win- winning the lottery, too, yeah, is another way to think exactly, about it. exactly. So uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't be here without the support of people. I just couldn't. My family was, has just always been amazing. Are you the only artist out of the five siblings? Yeah, well, we're all artistic. Uh, my older brother laughs when I say that he's the genius of the family. Um, he, he's 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 more of the brainwave, and the rest of us. My brother uh, Scooter is a gifted uh, musician. My brother Dan did a lot of uh, silver jewelry. Mm. My sister did stained glass and silver jewelry. So we all had an artistic edge to us. But I'm the only one that ran with it and decided that's all I wanted to do. Um, I was flunking my uh, art class in high school. That's ironic. Yeah. And it was because I wasn't doing what my uh, teacher wanted me to do because I'm very hard-headed, and my husband can vouch for that. Uh, I just wouldn't finish my assignments. I was really frustrated with the whole you know, program, and I was being belligerent, <laughs> and I was flunking out, and I wanted to graduate at semester my senior year, but I wasn't getting my, my credit in art, so... I said, what do I need to do? And he says, finish this assignment. So I did. And I think I got a D minus. I don't know. But I got my credit and I got out of there. He says, he said, you, he says, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an artist. And he says, you'll never make it. Mm. Yeah. He says, I can count on one hand how many artists can make a living at art alone. He says, you're not going to be one of them, which was awesome. Really. Because it inspired you? Oh, Yes. It made you mad <laughs> oh. and then it inspired you. Well, it bummed me out. Um, I worked for a veterinarian for 14 years. Absolutely loved that family. Uh, started when I was 12, so I learned anatomy inside and out. And uh, I worked for him for uh, until I was off and on until I was 32. And I finally quit him and, and went into the artwork full time. But I remember being really sad for five years. I thought, man, that's what I want to do. I wanted, I want to make a living at art, but I didn't know how. I couldn't market myself. Um, it was just, it was kind of a rough go. So a lot of people would buy artwork from me, and I moved out when I was seventeen, and I supported myself for my artwork alone for six months, and that was inspiring. But then I went back and I did the vet work for a while because that was a steady uh, paycheck. And you love animals. I do. I do. Um, and so then when I decided to jump into full time then uh, it, it was a struggle and uh, I literally was starving artists for I would consider myself starving artists up until the last few years really mm. because you just never know what, when the paycheck's coming in and you know the economy fluctuates and at the time I was doing paintings and selling prints and the print market you know hits a different level of uh, you know income it's not a steady market you start getting up into big monument pieces it's a whole different you're appealing to a different crowd and so um that has afforded me to do less small work focus on i'm 62 now at building uh a little bit of a a nest egg um and like my husband just said he says you're you're there you you, you've arrived you've you're you know, did you ever think you'd, you know, get to this point? And I said, no. And I'm not raking it in. You know, I'm just making a living. I'm not making a killing. Yeah. But I'm making a living and I'm not freaking out, you know, day to day if I'm going to have money in the account to, you know, pay the, the electrical bill. You're making a living and you don't have to worry about uh, maybe income the way you did 20 years ago. But from an experience perspective, you're living your, your best life and you have been for quite some time. Living the dream. Seriously, living the dream. I figured I figured out what I love to do and then figured out how to make a living at it. Is uh, the art teacher from my school still around? He is not. I actually, he, he is still a dear friend. I, I tried to thank him one time uh, for, for giving me the inspiration. And he's, oh, no, no, you don't have to thank me. But I think he didn't realize that it was negative that inspired me, but that's the way my brain works. So he was probably trying to be pragmatic. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was doing the right thing. And I really frustrated him because I did have more natural talent probably than most of the students. Most of the students took art because they just wanted to goof off. Mm. 
and he was frustrated with that. And sure. so here he had, you know, a handful of really, you know, art-interested students, and he couldn't get me to do what he wanted me to do. But my mother had the same problem, so. <laughs> Is it because you had a different vision of what it should be, and he had... Like, I need you to do these steps to get to this destination. Yeah. And, and he, you guys, you just didn't want to follow the steps. Yeah. I just, it wasn't like, I, I don't mind drawing the spheres and, you know, the shading and all that. That was all great. But he was doing some kind of wild stuff that I didn't particularly care for. And if the other students did something similar to what he was doing, they'd get great grades. And I was like, I don't, I don't like that style. And I just want to draw a horse because a horse was my first love and I think I drew horses from the time I was two or three years old you could at least tell it was a horse um I'd rather draw a horse and he really didn't want me doing that so I just did what I wanted to do but artists and art in general are meant to be they follow their own path they're not prescribed they're not a recipe yeah yeah I think I think we just had a personality conflict and I don't normally do that but I just was non-compliant. I've been told often that I'm non-compliant. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worked out, usually, it sounds like. I am hard-headed, but, but I can also be pretty loving, too. So, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's worked out. I, I'm, I think in this business, you have to have a pretty tough shell. And so I get a lot of rejection letters, and I just climb back up out of the hole and, you know, just keep soldiering on. Yeah. Uh, the valley you grew up in. Why was your family in the valley? Good question. Uh, my mom and dad were both uh, born in the Dust Bowl era, mm. and they had a resettlement project in uh, central Colorado, south central. And so, ironically, they both uh, were born and raised in eastern Colorado within, I don't know, 20 miles of each other. And they, their families knew each other and moved to the San Luis Valley, and they could buy some property, I think 40 acres, they had to prove it up, um, make a living off of it, farm it for a couple of years, and then they were, uh, uh, I guess, homes were built for them. And so I was raised, our family was raised in a resettlement home. Mm. Um, By the time I was born, baby of five, we had running water, but my older siblings, we, they had an outhouse. And so we kind of came, dad was smart. He picked a, about an acre and a half, eight miles from Alamosa. So we were out in the country and had a, a big drain ditch going by with carp and crawdad mm-hmm. and frogs. And, and uh, all my brothers hunted. My sister even hunted uh, after she married. She was a bow hunter. Uh, I wasn't much of a hunter. I shot a duck once and decided I would never do that again. Did you feel bad about it? Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I dropped him on the far side of the canal, and I thought he was, I thought I got him, and I went over to pick him up, and he turned around and looked at me, and and my husband said, you need me to come take care of that? I said, no, I started it. So so I wrung his neck, and I thought, I don't need to do that. I'm not hungry. You know, we had a cattle ranch at the time. Um, I just didn't need to, you know, and I, I fully support hunting. I, I am, I, I'm on board with all of that. I really am. I, it's, I was born and raised with it. And so uh, ethical hunting is, is really an important part of, there's so many people that if, we, if we're not careful in proper management, we're going to lose all the animals. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. But personally, I don't know. Yeah, where you are right now, there are a lot of people that hunt. Uh, I never got into it. My, my dad was not into it. I did shoot a, a squirrel, and I did not end its life with that shot and so i had to do something similar with the yeah. squirrel that you have to do with the dock and i haven't shot a, a weapon at a, an animal since yeah i just did i thought i didn't feel good about it and why did i do that i was a beautiful animal and you know i eat duck i mean but i felt a little better i guess about raising animals in uh you know a, a controlled environment if you know they're not dealing with predation necessarily they're being vaccinated they're cared for you know, they're, they're, they're not starving. They're not having to go out and make a living on their own. And, you know, uh, we raised, you know, 350 calves a year. Mm. And they go to the feedlot. And, you know, I didn't mind eating a steak. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a vegetarian. Um, but these animals in the wild, you know, it was a little harder for them to make a living. And, and then they, uh, they just didn't need me. I didn't, there didn't need to be one more person out shooting them. But 
I'm I'm happy to support hunting, and like I said, I you know did a lot of work with Ducks Unlimited and Elk Foundation, and I truly believe in it. But I'm okay not hunting. Yeah, I, you and I were not tr- trying to uh, kill those animals for nourishment or for conservation right. or anything like right. that. We were right. we were just young and yeah, we As, had that experience. When yeah, we, I have we a shotgun. You know, let me see if I can do something with it. <laughs> you know, it's all, it all adds to the character. You, it, you, you grow and you learn. It's like, I'm yeah. not going to do that. Move on and do this. Something else. So you grew up on a ranch or no, the we, ranch was removed from where you were? Yeah, at? that was my first marriage. Um, Jim and I got married, uh, gosh, I have to think what year it was, probably 85, 84. And um, his family had a ranch. Wow. And we ran 350 pair and we'd take them to the high country in the summer, which was really fun. Load every, you know, pair up all the cows and split them up and load them up, take them up to the high country. And then we'd hay the, the ranch land during the summer. And then we'd bring the cows back home and feed the hay uh, throughout the winter. But we, yeah, it was, that was, a, was an awesome part of my life. I loved being on the ranch and I loved, you know, we'd get up every two hours in the night to go check the heifers because when the, the, the heavy heifers uh, were calving, they, uh, you know, and we would calve, every, we'd start calving in January, which was really cold. But if we didn't have everybody on the ground, we couldn't take them to the high country. So I think it was January, February, maybe it was February. Uh, we'd go out and check and make sure that we didn't have a heifer in trouble. Um, and if we did, I mean, I, I would pack calves into the house and get them warmed up and dry them off and, Try to take them back out, and I mean, it was a really interesting part of my life. I really was a cowgirl. We had six or eight horses at any given time, and mm. um, we'd go wrangle them up in the mountains and bring the cows out. It was it was an amazing. People pay to go do this dude ranch stuff, and that's what we did. But uh, that was my first life, and then uh, can we stop there? Yeah. Have you seen the show Yellowstone? Bits of it, yes. Have you seen the where they move the cattle over? weeks no probably not necessarily i think i've just seen parts of it i was going to ask you how uh, accurate their depiction was but if you haven't seen it you haven't seen it i watched some of it at my sister's house but not enough to really follow the story and i mean yeah basically what i saw riding horses and stuff is accurate yeah yeah i don't think they would do anything at this day and time that that isn't accurate because they've got so many people watching but it was an awesome life and Unfortunately, after my husband and I split up, he says, you know, I always hated cattle, the cattle business. And I'm like, really? What? <laughs> That's awful. Does it make any sense? I know. I felt so terrible because I loved it so much and I learned so much. So, And that, once again, that all goes into, you know, building character and giving you a whole different, you know, you have to. You have to distance yourself when you send the calves off. Well, actually, when we were castrating on the day that, you know, because we did, we were our own crew, we'd go out and, um, you know, split off all the calves from the cows and then start running them through the chute. And I would normally vaccinate, dehorn if I needed to, and castrate. And, you know, as soon as you castrate a calf, boom, you know where he's going in the next, you know, 12, 18 months, um, he's going to get butchered. Uh, so you just have to get really pragmatic about things. Yeah. And... I, I miss that part, but now, you know, we've uh, the man I'm married to now, he's an island boy from San Juan Island. Mm. And he said, Colorado's beautiful, but I'm not moving. So I'm mobile. I moved my business up to the island, and it's really beautiful up there. Uh, pandemic hit, and we got some baby goats. Mm. And um, he says, we're not sustainable. Yeah, I want chickens. And I said, I'll get them coming. He goes, and I want um, ducks and a goose. I said, I'll get them coming. <laughs> so... Uh, I said, I want goats. He says, I don't like goats. And I said, well, I do. I had goats when I was a kid. I want goats. He goes, I don't like them. Well, you you cannot pry him away from those goats now. <laughs> and, and we ended up with a dog, too. Um, she's a service dog. I've got some vertigo issues. And, and she um, she came on board, and he goes, I don't like dogs. I go, well, I'm going to get a dog. And he goes, I don't know, no dogs. And then when he said, absolutely no dog, I said, I, I, I'm getting, I'm, I booked a flight. I'm going to go get her now. So we've got a dog, and she's here with us in Ashland, Virginia oh, now, nice. and she's she's awesome. Uh, so our lives have completely changed. So I, I don't know. I I think I've lived about five lifetimes already. Um, why didn't he like goats? Or why did he believe he didn't like goats? The first experience he had with a goat was when he was in high school, and 
his girlfriend, uh, they came out of the house and the goat was standing on her car eating the windshield wiper. He goes, I don't, I don't I like, like goats. <laughs> yeah, because I don't like goats. But they are the most beautiful little, they're Nigerian dwarf. They're not very big. They're about 22 inches at the shoulder. They're beautiful. Their conformation is impeccable, I think. And they're the most loving, beautiful, soft. They're like, we've got 16 girls now, and mm. they're they're like puppy dogs. As you say, they sound like domesticated yeah. dogs. And yeah, and you know, people say, oh, my dog's an Australian Shepherd. Oh, she heard your goats? No, we don't herd our goats. Our goats follow us like puppies. We open the gate. We'll tell people, you want to go for a goat walk? They're like, really? Do you put them on a leash? No. Open the gate, and they're like, oh, my gosh, they're going to take off. No, they don't take off. They just look at you like, where are we going? <laughs> and they follow us, and they we take them out and graze and browse. And when it's time to go back, we go, let's go, girls. And they all line up behind us. All 16 of them. Oh, yeah. Just tr- trot right back to the pen. And they're, yeah. they're amazing. Yeah. It's like Valium for my husband. He gets on, you know, on a little bender. He's mad about something. I said, go sit with the goats. <laughs> and he does. I need some goats. It's very centering for him. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell. I, I mean, I can tell if he's had time with the goats. He's just, he's just more than happy. He says, he said, he says he thinks now he was either a goat herder or a goat in his past life. He is that connected. He is to that those connected goats. with them. Yeah. Well, you see him on this trip. If you see him, you ask him about his goats and he'll flip out his phone and show you pictures and video. All right. Over the next two months, what are you most excited to experience? Ooh, wow. That's, that's a good one. Um, Meeting everybody is really going to be cool. I'm pretty reclusive. Really? Uh huh. Hmm. Or have been at times. I can be. Uh, but everybody's just been so jazzed. It's pretty energizing. Yeah. So, I mean, and everybody's been so thumbs up about the monument that, oh, I just remembered. <laughs> I knew it was going to come back. I don't know if you can tie this back in uh, now. I'll, I'll see. Probably not. Maybe, yeah. Now I'm really giving you something to chop her out. I was talking about going to the art shows. And one of the things about being in the art show, showing your work, I've always likened it to standing in your booth completely naked. Mm. That's how it feels. You feel so exposed and everybody's just looking at you and judging you, you know. And as people, we hide behind our clothes and our hairstyles. And so I think... You know, for me, this this whole secretariat thing has been so. I, the word that keeps coming up is affirming, mm. and everybody's been so positive about it that everywhere I go, it's just been fun, fun, fun. You know, and and very upbeat. I haven't had negativity in any any part of this project that I can think of. There just hasn't been anything bad. So that level that you felt of vulnerability and exposure, that's just not part it's of your still, experience. It's still there. I mean, I still, I look at parts of it and I go, I could have done that different, you know, but that's, we have to be that way as an artist or you don't improve. But, but I'm, I'm pretty pleased with them and I feel like I did my due diligence, my work on them. There are things that I could have changed. I know there's things that people would say are not accurate on them, but I feel good about them and uh, I guess that makes me more excited to do the trip because I don't cringe when someone wants to take a photo of him. You know, I feel like he's 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 pretty solid. I've not seen him in person, but the pictures are amazing. Yeah. Well, wow. get down there before noon tomorrow because he's going to be leaving. Well, but he's coming back. He's coming back. Permanently. But if you want to see him before he leaves on this trip. Yeah. So we'll pull okay. out of town around 1230, I think. I might be able to check him out in the morning. Yeah, cool. All right, so I have a really oddball question that we ask most of our guests, and I, th- I think you'll have fun with this. At least I hope you will. Imagine you are hosting your own talk show. It could be late night, it could be middle of the day, but you have one show that you get to put on. You get to make every decision associated with it to include picking your guest. Your guest can be alive or dead. They can be famous. They can be friends or family. Your show can be... Uh, thought-provoking it can be meant to be pure entertainment uh pure joy whatever you want it to be it could be a mix of all those things or things that i haven't mentioned you get one female guest one male guest a musical act and if you happen to be in the stand-up comedy or comedy in general you can give us a comedian as well you are really making my brain work (laughs) i I get this reaction like oh i wish you had told me about this before yeah it's not it's not how we do this yeah 
one female, let's see. I guess I would have to say, and it can be someone I, I know and love. Sure, absolutely. My grandma Holton was really inspiring to me. Not to say that my mom and, you know, my other family not figures are not. to exclude everybody else. Exactly. Sure. My grandma Holton lived to be 102, and she almost spanned uh, a full uh, century. She was mm. born in 89, or 98, and died just before uh, 2000. Wow. So she was just a like a month and a half away. So industrial revolution time frame to yeah. computers. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And you know, she had a mastectomy when she was about I don't know, 70 or so. And my mom and dad had split up and my mom uh, decided to go back to college. Maybe it was 80. Grandma must have been No, grandma was in her 80s. Uh she'd had a mastectomy. And uh my mom had gone back to college and she went to visit grandma in the hospital and grandma saw the bench. She goes, Phoebe, she says, you have um, gone back to school. I believe I will too. So she did. And uh, she was the oldest graduate of Adams State College at age 86, I believe. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And then she decided she wanted to learn how to play piano. So she taught herself that. She lived on her own until she was probably 98. Never too old. Never too old. Yeah. It's an w- awesome lesson yeah. for everybody that's going to listen to this. I would love to have the opportunity to have her back and do some interviews with her. You know, just have her on a talk show. Yeah. And have her share uh, all that she, I mean, coming from the Dust Bowl. Um, you know, my mom was, uh, I think, in third grade and weighed 30 pounds. Mm. And the doctor said, if you don't get her out of here, you're going to lose her. Wow. You know, so they were really trying to eke out a living with their kids. and. Mm. And they got to the valley and they lived in a tent, you know, and, and I'm talking the frigid yeah. San Luis Valley. I thought my grandma was an amazing person. Uh, but now, see, I go to family. No, you're fine. This is your show. The guy has got to be my dad. Okay. Love my daddy. Uh, he, he raised an amazing family and he had so many stories. He'd make an amazing, uh, he, he would make an amazing guest on the show. The things that he could teach people, and he's very multifaceted. Um, miss him a lot. Uh, what's the other one? A rock star? Well, a musical act. Musical act. Yeah, it doesn't have to be rock. Uh, let's see. Boy, that's a good one, too. I'll think of all these things after I leave. Like, oh, man, I should have told I have, I have this people one. that text me afterwards, like, oh, man, hey, I should have said that. Can I change this. my like, mind? Oh, like, it's fine. Yeah. Musical act. I'm not really into Broadway, opera, anything like that. Very much, you know, uh, uh, rock and roll. Um, not really into hip-hop or jazz. So it'd have to be somebody from the rock and roll era. Uh, loved Carole King and James Taylor, you know, the, mm, the yeah. old, you know. Um, I can't think of a musical act could be James Taylor and Carol King get, getting together. Getting together. Okay, let's just go with that. I maybe have grown out of that now. I mean, there are some really amazing uh, artists out there now that, like I said, I'll think of some after I leave here. Okay, there was a fourth one. Doesn't have to be if you're into comedy, which not everybody is. Oh. Stand-up comedian or just a general funny person. Definitely Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you are the first one. You are. You're going to be episode two oh nine two ten something like that. You're the first one to give me. You may be the first cartoon character. Definitely the first Bugs Bunny. Uh, it's definitely Bugs Bunny. He's. Just, I, I grew up on that. He's I mean, just priceless. The Looney Tunes were amazing. Yeah. No, I just. Uh, he's he's a theme in my life. I just. He's just. He's just. He's just so odd and silly and. No, I, I definitely, I definitely hang with him. Did you ever feel bad for Wiley Coyote or Elmer Fudd or any of those guys? They were just there, no. They were just there for Bugs' entertainment. No, there's a great one with Yosemite Sam and Bugs Bunny, uh, and I felt a little bad for Yosemite Sam, but no, um, I, you know, I did watch Wiley and Roadrunner, but but Bugs just well, Bugs messed with Wiley Coyote. Coyote sometimes too. Yeah, he probably did. I mean, there are a few episodes of uh, Bugs Bunny playing the piano. I mean, that just sometimes I'm having a bad day. I just got to look some of those up because he's okay. just something else. I, I actually would like to be more like him. I think 
uh, my yeah. thought processes. Yeah. My, my father taught us all humor when we were growing up. And so I try to approach things with a lot of humor, which my husband will tell you I've been a lot more serious lately because there's a lot of uh, responsibility on my shoulders. But a lot of that's done now. So the Triple Crown is going to be fun. And uh, now that I think about it, I think I'm going to go get a little Bugs Bunny to sit in the dash of the truck. I don't know why you wouldn't. For the Triple Crown tour. Yeah. You should also get a Stories from the Center of the Universe bumper sticker. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Because the truck's going right back to Lux Chevrolet. So, yeah. Well, and, you'll have to put it on the truck. Maybe a cooler or something. <laughs> if you're going cooler. <laughs> uh, well, Jocelyn, I'm so glad we got to do this. This has uh, been a lot of fun. I've learned a ton. I'm so excited for you to go do this tour of the races and all the other things you've got uh, planned for you. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited, too. As you can tell, I'm an artist with ADD, so I'm all over the charts. I hope you guys can piece this together. Oh, you're, you're nothing compared to some of the, uh, <laughs> of the facts I've had. This well, is awesome. Thank you so much. I should yeah. mention that Silent Rob was here. Jen was also here. You may have heard her, or you you probably heard her from a distance. Silent Rob really wants to say something, though. I think maybe we'll have to have you back so you can tell us about the tour. Oh, that'd be ah. awesome, too. That'd be awesome. And I, I hopefully, and I would really love to give Jen a big shout-out and the whole Sec VA team, Secretary for Virginia. But Jen has been putting us up and putting up with us uh, three weeks ago and now again. And she allowed our dog into her home and it's just been absolutely delightful. So thank you, my dear friend. It's It's really been it's meant a lot. I told her last night, I said, we don't normally stay with people, but her place is just, I don't know, it's just magical. So It's in the center of the universe. Yep. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we're glad you're in the center of the universe, and I uh, hope you have an awesome trip. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm excited to report back. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.